Hi, I'm Brock Goodall, lead pastor at Haven Campus Church. I'm excited that you've chosen to connect with our podcast today. And as we get started, remember, God is for you and He's got a plan for your life. Are you ready? Let's go. Good morning, everybody. Please grab a seat. Welcome to church. If you're here for the first time, welcome. If you've been here for a very, very long time, welcome too. Uh, This is a beautiful place indeed. I want to start by uh, telling you a story. And the story revolves around uh, my grandparents. And they are interesting individuals. They are wonderful. But they are old. (laughs) Very old. Uh, But good. One of the highlights for my brother and I when we were growing up was to go and visit my nan and my granddad. That was awesome. Even though, again, for some context, uh, they only lived five minutes away, but from a Tasmanian context, that does still feel like you're going on like a sweet holiday adventure. It really did. We, like legitimately five minutes, but it felt like an eternity. Uh, sweet Tassie, hey. So my brother and I, we would go there like all the time. And nan and, gr- nan and granddad are from England. Uh, so they've got that whole thing. Granddad's the sort of individual uh, who for some reason, like even though I am his blood, he puts out his hand to, ha- to shake my hand to greet me. And I'm not much of a hugger, but like, you're my family. Surely we can get past the formality of, hello. Do you know what I mean? Like, let us embrace. So I hug him just to throw him off. And it's amazing. Uh, and you, you watch like, no, granddad. And in for the hug and he's like, oh. Like his Englishness just does not handle it. But it's, it's wonderful. Nan's the flip side. She's a wonderful, inviting, caring, loving individual. But when it comes to uh, meals, we would go to their house, my nan and my granddad's house, for like big family things, like Christmas things like that. And my nan is one of those individuals where she'll do all of the work in preparation for the food, will not allow you to help in any way, but drop those like passive aggressive, well, if only I had some help in the kitchen, I'll help you then. Oh, no, 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 darling, don't worry about it. But you, whatever. And this whole like subtle sprinkling of passive aggression uh, basically was a staple uh, when it came to meals at their house. One of my favorite examples of Nan's just, I don't know, quirks, we'll call it a quirk, was when we were there for Christmas, uh, we were there for Christmas lunch this one occasion. And she'd forgotten the peas. And of course, that was my granddad's fault. So, oh, John, the peas! Granddad, number one, never eats vegetables at all. He is a meat and potatoes guy, full stop, and lollies. Loves lollies. But for some reason, the forgetting of the peas was his fault. So Nan walks in, so she's already kind of thrown now, because her hosting is impaired. And then the next thing happened, and it was outstanding. So, my granddad would sit at the end of the table, and my nan would sit next to him. And nan reached into the middle of the table to grab said peas from before, which she's already upset about. Now, as she's gone and done this, I just happen, you know when you just happen to be at the right place, at the right time, watching the thing that's about to happen? Uh, She reached over to grab said peas, and as she did, she knocked over my granddad's glass of beverage. All over him. 
Now, of course, you watch this happen and it's like in slow motion. Nan reaches in, knocks it over. She realises what happened. The eyes go big. The eyebrows shoot up. Grandad's like, mm. it's not good. Now, Grandad takes it like a champion. Doesn't even say anything. He's like, look, it's not like I'm not going to bother Maureen with it. I'll just take it in my lap now, but it's fine. My Nan turns granddad and says, as she has knocked over the glass of beverage all over him, oh John, why did you do that? And granddad goes, but I, it, it was you, but Nan, no, 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 it was done. Nan was sold on the fact that, no, 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 it was his fault. So now we're watching and saying, but Nana, no, if granddad moved his glass out of the way, this wouldn't have happened. Poor Nan, because she's just this wonderful human and that story paints her in such a quirky light it's an accurate light. She's wonderful, but has this weird, like, passive aggressiveness about her. Or in the case of Grandad, straight up in his face. So poor Grandad now has juice all over him, and the meal's ruined. The reason that I bring that story to you is I'm sure you've all been in situations where something has just gone horribly wrong involving food. Either you've ordered the wrong thing, or something has appeared in your food that you did not expect to. Someone perhaps has made a scene and it's very uncomfortable. Or you're sitting down to a nice dinner with your loved one and the table next to you are having a full-blown domestic. They're fun, aren't they? Because you know you want to listen. And your laugh tells me that you do listen. And you kind of kill your conversation just to listen to the explosion that's happening in the table next to you. Like, there's something about food, yeah, that does one of two things. It either brings comfort or just pure destruction. And what we're doing this morning is looking at a story of the latter, where something not great happens. Uh, but before we get to that character, this whole term, we've been looking at female stories in the Bible, and it's been incredible. We've looked at them all throughout, from the beginning to the end, all throughout the Bible. And we've been looking at these, this beautiful feminine narrative that's stitched throughout the scripture and learning two things. One, what do these stories of women in the Bible tell us about God? And then two, what does that then tell us about ourselves and our own journey? And today we're bringing that series to an end. And the story that we will be looking at, this lady only gets mentioned in a couple of places in the Bible. It's very, very small. But even though it's small, there's great power to it. The story that we're looking at is the story of Martha. Martha and Mary. Side note, different Mary to the one that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Turns out in the Bible, Mary's a popular name. Very different person. But if you would like to join, I would love you to. So if you, I'm going to put all the verses up on the screen, but if you would like to follow along in the Bibles of your own, we'll turn the lights up just a smidgen, and we're going to go to the book of Luke. And if you've got the white Bibles around you, uh, please feel free to grab one of those. But if not, all of the verses are going to be up on the screen. You've got a phone? We're going to be using the New Living Translation. But we're going to the book of Luke, chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at this story of a lady by the name of Martha. Luke chapter 10. Verse 38 to 42, and it goes like this. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him, Jesus, into her home. Her sister Mary, who was obviously there, sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, 
Doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Classic. Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken from her. That's it. That's the small passage. I love it though, because I believe that these few verses tell us a great deal about who God is and who we are in God and what God says to us. But the scene is outstanding, isn't it? It's that classic dinner scene. See, what Martha is doing is doing the thing that was expected in this culture. If you invite somebody into your home, you would create a nurturing, safe, and hospitable environment, right? as many of you do in the room. Someone comes to your house, if you're not a cook, you at least offer them a hot beverage, yeah? Offer them something. Even if you don't drink it, you've always got that sneaky tea bag sitting somewhere that you can offer an individual who may enter into your home. So Martha's doing the thing that she should do, providing hospitality, nurturing her guest. That's the point. You'll note, though, in the text, it says that she is focusing on the big meal that she is preparing. So it's not even that she's just doing something low-key and simple, maybe some crackers and dip, like nothing low-key and easy, some hummus, that's right, for the masses, which, by the way, is the easiest thing to do. Someone comes to your house, put out the dip, perhaps some cheese. She isn't doing this. She is roasting something up, cooking it big, because here's the thing, when Jesus comes to your house, he doesn't just come alone, right? He brings his crew. The Bible refers to them as his disciples, his followers. We see this where every single space that he goes to, he walks in with a group of people. So Jesus is invited into this person's home, Martha's home, Mary's there too, and Martha springs straight into hospitality mode, straight into nurture mode, and she gets everything going. But what she realizes is that her sweet, wonderful sister is doing absolutely nothing. Now, maybe this rings true for some of you in the room. Maybe you know people like this. Maybe you are this person. There is a space for everyone in the house of the Lord. So this is good news. So feel accepted and loved and not judged in this place. But we get this picture that Mary, different Mary to the couple of weeks ago, is just sitting down in the living room, listening to Jesus. That's the story that gets painted. And Martha, obviously focusing on her big meal, gets stressed at this point, because this is a lot of work to do for one person. So I love the way how she, uh, it's in verse 40, uh, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. So she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. How much does this sound like you're telling on your sibling to your parents? She's making Jesus be like the referee with this relational foolishness that's going on. Like basically, mom, they're not helping. Tell them to help. This is what Martha does to Jesus. And she must think, of course, that she's going to have Jesus' ear on this. Because why would she be so bold to do this? Jesus, tell her the audacity. Like, who is she speaking to? We read this today, knowing that the one that she is speaking to, Jesus, is God. 
God is in her house, but she is so focused on preparing this big meal that she misses what's right in front of her. She thinks that Jesus is going to have a back and rebuke poor Mary who's just sitting, listening. Go help your sister. That's not what happens. Now, see, it's interesting. We're going to do some Bible nerdery, which always happens when we pull out the pencil. So prepare yourself if you are not a Bible nerd. Uh, We look in verse 40, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Okay, so in the original language that this text was written in, it was converted, translated into English so that we could read it. But the original, this word, this word distracted, this word distracted was interesting. Get ready. Because it's an over-the-top list of words we're about to put on the page. This word is a hapax legomenon. Yes. If you were to whip out your phone and Google it, basically, Scholars love using really fancy words to say something really basic and simple. Like they're going to pull it out of the dinner party and go, do you know what a hapax legomenon is? Do you know? Because I had to look it up. It means that it's only used once in the Bible. Just say that! Anyway, this word, distracted, is only used once. Now, when you read that, or when the original people would have heard it, that means, like, pay attention. This is probably important because I'm using a word that I haven't used before. This word didn't just mean, like... So, for example, when there's a child in front of you, uh, that could be a little distracting. But that's one thing. By the way, it's fine. Um, Worked as a good object lesson. That's one thing. But this word means so much more than that. It's not that she was, like mildly distracted by what was going on. No, she was overwhelmed, drowning in what she was focusing on. So what this text is actually saying is that Martha was drowning in the preparation of this big dinner. So she's not just mildly like, oh, I'm a bit flustered. No, no, she is all consumed by what is in front of her. And what is in front of her is a good thing. She's providing nurture. She's providing hospitality and kindness and food for her guests. She's doing a good thing, but she's drowning in it so that she can't see what is actually going on beyond it. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. By the way, if you're a details person, and someone who is not a details person says that line to you, that's offensive. How dare you? You don't know. But I love that Jesus is this beautiful mixture of task and people-oriented. Like, it just seems like he can do it all. I guess because he's God. But it is wonderful. But he just prepares to straight to the core. Think about it, that's just what Jesus does, right? Remember we spoke about a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 4? He was talking to the woman at the well. If you were here, we were talking about that. G'day. Uh, when we was at the well, he speaks to the woman and says this line, by the way. It's great reading. He says, um, hey, lady who I'm talking to, go and get your husband. If you know the story, the woman responds by going, don't have a husband. Jesus, in his classic fashion, goes, that's right, for you have five. You have five husbands. Five of them. Basically, what Jesus is saying is he's using his weird words to demonstrate a reality that this woman is in. 
And that's what Jesus does right here. To the one who is focusing on the thing that is in front of her, the good thing, the beautiful thing, the nurturing thing, the hospitable thing, Jesus says to her, my dear, you're worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. More Bible nerdery. Pen is picked up. We're circling the word it. You might be wondering, hmm. That word it, in the original language that this text was written in, the word that is in English for it was actually three words that Jesus used. Three words. For some reason, the people who were translating this just decided to translate those three words to the word it. What they actually are is awesome. Because Jesus is doing this thing that he loves to do, wordplay, puns. He loves it. Because get this, what that word it actually is in the original language is the right meal. Right? Oh, this is good stuff. It means the right meal. Hang on to it. Let's read it again. Mary has discovered it. Mary has discovered the right meal. What is Martha concerned about, consumed with, overwhelmed with? The meal. So Jesus in response to her, says, you are consumed with the wrong meal. You're consumed and concerned about food that will fill us, but I have a different meal on offering that I am giving to you. Oh, it's good. The original people would remember that that statement harks back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 3, saying, yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry. And then feeding you with manna, the food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus is good. And then even Luke, the author of the story that we've been looking at, back in chapter 4, picks up and says the same thing. But Jesus told them, no, the scripture says people do not live by bread alone. What he's doing is beautiful because the thing that Martha is consumed with is good. It's nurture. It's right. She is providing a meal, but the meal is too big, too extravagant for what it needs to be. She could have simplified, made it easy. Just here's some food. Now I will come to and sit at the feet of Jesus. But she doesn't. She focuses on the wrong meal. It's really good. In verse 39, it says, her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. This language is really important. If you were one of these people in this culture listening to this, the way that the author describes how Mary is sitting is the posture of a disciple. Now, a disciple is just a fancy name for a follower of a rabbi. Rabbi is just a fancy name for a teacher. So what... Luke is describing the way that Mary sits. He's saying that Mary's being a student to the teacher, Jesus. Now, that doesn't land in a very dramatic way initially, right? Okay, great. She's listening to Jesus. That's awesome. Quick quiz. Uh, do you think that women were generally allowed this privilege during this time? No. There was a hierarchy 
at this time. It's, it is what it is. We've moved past that point now, but back at this time in this culture, men were here and could do the teaching and the debating and the real stuff, whereas the lady folk could do what Martha was doing, just in the back preparing the meal. Do you get it? So Martha is actually doing the thing that she's meant to do. Mary is breaking the rules to a point, sitting at the feet of Jesus. What Jesus should have done, according to this culture, is rebuke her for sitting there, which then helps us to understand why Martha was so annoyed at her in the first place, right? Martha says to Jesus, Mary is sitting at your feet. She's not allowed to do that. I'm preparing a meal. Like, she could help me. But Jesus destroys all of those ideas by saying, no, actually, she's focusing on the better meal than what you are. See, there's this thing in Jewish culture called the Mishnah, which is like a commentary on how to do life as a Jew. And it's got these beautiful words. It says, let your house be a meeting house for the wise and sit amid the dust of their feet and drink in their words with thirst. This is what Mary's doing. She is sitting at the feet of Jesus as a student, soaking up everything that he is giving. And he's not rebuking her. What Jesus is doing by allowing that to take place is challenging the social hierarchy of the day. In fact, he doesn't just challenge it, he makes a new hierarchy. See, they were used to a people-based hierarchy. But what Jesus brings in through this teaching, through this passage, is not a people-based hierarchy, but a priority-based hierarchy. Meaning it's no longer people that are here, and then here, and then here, and then women down the bottom. Jesus destroys that with this act. But what he says is that your priorities are to fall into a hierarchy. Priority number one is sitting at the feet of Jesus, soaking in all that God has. The next priority is to practice hospitality and nurture and goodness and grace. Do you get that? He shifts everything. No longer men, women. No, no, no. That's, that point is moot when it comes to Jesus. They're the same. But Jesus brings in a new hierarchy, priorities. Order your life by most to least important. Where are my to-do list people in the house? Mm -hmm. I see you. You are seen in this place. When I have tasks to do, important things, I put them in my list of jobs. But I don't just leave them there and go alphabetically ordered, go from top to bottom. No, that's ridiculous. Because every task is not created equal. Replying to an email is nowhere near as important as meeting with the person that you need to follow up with, yeah? Someone is in hurt and in pain. Your email can get, it can be left alone. Your email can be left alone. Go to the person that is in need. Do you get this? So it means that in our own life, we're used to prioritizing things. For me, red color means priority one must happen. Blue flag means eh, if I get to it, I get to it. The principle that we take with managing our lives is what Jesus is calling us to do with our spiritual space as well. To look around and go, what is the most important thing to do? And prioritize your life that way. And according to the words of Jesus, the most important thing to do is to sit at the feet of Jesus. And soak in all that God is. Why? Because Jesus is the embodiment of love and acceptance, of hospitality, of nurture and grace. Jesus, God, is the embodiment of everything of importance. 
So we are invited to sit and consume that embodiment, that goodness, be filled with it. And then, when you go and do your thing in the world, you're actually set up to do it. And this passage challenges me too, because our natural reaction is just to do the thing. Even as pastors, we can very easily, say for example, looking at scripture, easily just use it as a textbook to help prepare messages. And we fail to take the words on at a heart level. Do you get what I'm saying? So what this passage just tells me to do is it's more important for me to receive something at a heart level than it is to create something to declare to you. Does that make sense? And it is the same for each and every one of us. The things that we do day to day, they are important, but we are invited to put them in the right order, the right priority. Martha gets a bad rap, generally speaking. If you're familiar with the Bible, or even just read this story today, hearing it, you can see why Martha gets a bad rap. Because she's seen as doing the wrong thing. She's rebuked by Jesus. It's as if uh, Mary is the good option. Be like Mary, don't be a Martha. If you've grown up in church, maybe you've heard that before. Don't be a Martha, be a Mary. Well, that's really not a great reading of the text. Because there's a little something that we like to call context. In fact, it's the story just before helps to paint the picture. Because, spoiler alert, it's actually a good thing to be a Martha. And we're invited to be one. We'll get to that in a minute. There's a passage just a little bit up further in the book of Luke chapter 10. And it's a famous story, the story of the Good Samaritan. See, there's a religious expert that approaches Jesus and says, so who am I meant to show love to? Like, what's it mean to follow you? Because he says in verse 27, the man says to Jesus, you must love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He knows this stuff. He knows the law. He's a religious expert. So he says to Jesus, hey, just drilling down just a little bit, what does my neighbor mean? Who is that person? Who is my neighbor? So then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And he says that, well, there was a man who got mugged, robbed, beaten, thrown to the ground. And then there were people that saw the man on the ground. They did nothing to help him. Didn't even look in his direction. They just went on to the next thing. But there was one man who stopped broke the rhythm of his day to bend down and help this man, to nurture him, to fill him, restore him, put him on the back of a donkey, took him to an inn, paid for him to be looked after and restored. He stopped and cared for the one who needed it. Verse 36 of chapter 10. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man, that religious expert, he replied, saying, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. So Jesus tells this story to let us know that all people are our neighbor. That people who are in need are our neighbor. That we are called to show mercy. That we are called to show grace. That we are called to nurture. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you don't 
be a Martha. You've missed the point of what it means to be a follower of God. Because what is the point of learning all these things about who God is, but never actually doing anything with it? The people that left the man on the road, they knew the law, they knew spirituality, they knew church, but they missed the point. So Jesus tells the story, Luke writes the story saying, the point is that you show grace, love, nurture and hospitality. That's what it means to be a follower of God. But then the very next passage is the one that we've been reading today. The very next one. And then they went to Martha's house, who was preparing a big meal, doing the very thing that Jesus just taught about, like a verse before. The reason that Luke has put these stories next to each other is not to say that being a Martha, practicing hospitality, doing kindness and nurture is bad. If it was, then that previous story is completely irrelevant. He's saying, do good things. Love, nurture, be a beacon of hope but not at the exclusion of you connecting with God because it is your connection with God that gives you the power to provide the most beautiful nurture and hospitality that there is. Do you get that? Being a Martha is the goal and being a Mary is the goal too. See, we are called, called to be a Mary and a Martha, to soak up all the goodness of God then to pour it out through serving and loving others. Martha doesn't get a bad rap. She's the point. But not at the exclusion of your connection with God. So where do you find yourself? Do you naturally gravitate to a Martha stance or a Mary stance? Because here's the thing, you're not meant to be one or the other. We're called to be both and that's a challenge. But do yourself a favor and sit at the feet of Jesus. See the dust on his feet sit, and as the Mishnah says, drink it in with thirst. Because if you sit with the embodiment of love, hospitality, goodness, nurture, and grace, you will be filled to give that to others. And that gift is not just for those who have the gift of hospitality. No, no, no. It's the call of the gospel. So what will you do? God, we come to you knowing that you are here. You openly invite us to sit at your feet and to drink you in. What does that mean? What we're doing now, spending time with you, connecting with you. Help us to find that thing that we feel closest to you and do it. Do it with everything. May we connect with you in a more meaningful way moving forwards because we know that you are here that you are the embodiment of everything that matters may we surround ourselves with you fill us up so that we are in a position to then be poured out as we serve others thank you god for who you are in jesus name amen hey thank you so much for joining us today Everyone has a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. So why don't you visit havencampus.church and click on the link that says Contact Us. And there you can let us know about your story. If you've got any questions or want to know more, why don't you send an email to connect at havencampus.church. We would love to hear from you. And from all of us here at Haven Campus Church, have a great day.